Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. pray this morning. Father, we come before you and thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to praise you. Lord, we come together to submit to your rule and to proclaim that you are the King. Father, I pray that you'd be with all that we do this morning, that you may be glorified, and Lord, that your name may be lifted up. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. We do have a great God, and this morning, as we continue with our Advent, Advent is a word that means coming or visit. In the Christmas season of Advent, we prepare for the Advent of Christ at Christmas. The fourth candle that we will light this morning is the candle of love, as it reminds Christians that God loves them enough to send His only Son to redeem His people. As Scripture says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We light this candle because like God's people centuries ago, We also need a king to mediate God's kingdom. A king who will judge and rule and defend God's chosen people in righteousness and proclaim peace to all nations. Today we focus on the promise of the king, Jesus Christ, who came in order to put all of his enemies under his feet and to shepherd God's people. We join with the angels and all the saints before us singing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is well pleased. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather as the body of Christ to sing your praises. Our hearts are lifted together to proclaim that Jesus is King. We gather here today to hear your word and proclaim our surrender to his kingdom. So hear our songs of praise, our prayer, and visit our obedience and direct our hearts to respond to the workings of the Holy Spirit among us this morning. In the name of Jesus we pray, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We've been working on the promises of Christmas. We're looking at five promises. We've looked at three today. We're going to look at the four. And we've looked at three of them so far. The first one was the promise of a Savior. The promise of a Savior to rescue us from our sin. We need to understand that we need a Savior. And that's something that really many times is very surprising to people because they ask, why do I need a Savior? Me and God, we've got a, a thing worked out. Me and God, we're okay. But I need to share with you that's not true. We need a Savior. And without a Savior, we're all doomed and lost. The second promise was that of a priest. And that was to enable us to be reconciled with God so we could be with God. That's Emmanuel, God with us. You might remember the Old Testament priest was one who presented not only himself for the people, but also presented himself before the people for God. Number three was the promise of a prophet. A prophet to proclaim God's word. And you think, well, why do we need someone to proclaim God's word? We have the Bible here today. But it was sad enough that I read an article this week in Christianity Today in which one of the pastors said, we really don't need the Bible any longer. All we need is the Holy Spirit. And I would say, yes, we need the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit will only speak 
that which Christ spoke. That's what Jesus said in the Gospel of John. Do we need God's Word? Yes. We're to hold it dear. It's the truth that we have. We know nothing of Jesus except what's found in God's Word. And then today, we're going to realize is that the purposes of the promise, why are we talking about promises that are found in the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfills those promises, is that we need to recognize is that the promises or the purpose of the promises is to make right what went wrong. The purpose of the promises is to make right what went wrong. There was a time when we didn't need to be rescued from our sin. There was a day in which we were reconciled and we had a relationship with God. There there was a day in which God's word reigned freely. But we know in Genesis 3 that the fall, the great rebellion, and in it sin entered into the world and then by death. And so God has been making right what went wrong. Today in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I want to look at the fourth promise because God's not yet done. Those three are wonderful and great, but there's more to the promises. The fourth promise is of a king who will bring justice and peace. You might remember King David who slew the giant Goliath. David, after he had defeated his kingdom, became king and he united the northern and the southern kingdoms. He found himself at peace finally. And after setting up his house and building his house, he decided one day that he was now going to build a house for God. And that's what a time of peace will do. And he felt, this is what I'll do. But the prophet Nathan came to him and said, it's not going to be your place. For man cannot build really the true house of God. God had something else in mind. And that's where we find ourselves as Nathan is speaking for the Lord in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where he says from the Lord, David, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father, speaking of when he would die, I will raise up from your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Father, What a wonderful, great promise. And now as we take your scripture, I pray that your spirit now will just begin to work in our hearts. Help us to understand what this scripture is promising. Help us to see how Christ has fulfilled that and what it means to me today. And Lord, may we respond, Lord, as you had determined beforehand. In your name we pray. Amen. Now as we look at that, we understand that David did have a son named Solomon who eventually would build the house of God, the temple as we know it. But his kingdom did not last forever. But as we see, there was no earthly king who could ever boast of what the promises are. Very quickly, the attributes of this king that the Lord would set up is that his house, that he would have a house, and that his kingdom, and that his throne will last forever. 
No earthly king, not even Solomon, has ever come close, could ever boast of ever accomplishing that type of feat. But God says you're going to give you a king. And the first question that, that always rises in my mind is, why in the world do I even need a king? To us, especially here in the Western world in America, we don't even understand really the concept of the king. Now we're enamored and we're enthralled with those cities and those countries that still have monarchies and kings and princes. Uh, we have the happiest place here on earth in the next city that takes that fantasy and just pulls that off and draws all sorts of income for it. So we like it in type of a fantasy world, but in this case, God says you need a king. And I'm going to give you a king whose house, whose kingdom, whose throne will last forever. So I have to ask, well, why do I need a king? We're a democracy. I want to have a say. When it comes to monarchies and kings, there's no say in who gets that. That's just a family thing. You've got to do what they say. Well, you and I, we need honest judges. We need a righteous ruler. We need a trustworthy defender to mediate God's kingdom. You see, we were put here on earth, Adam and Eve and, and their children, we were put on here as God's image bearers to mediate or to do God's work on this earth. You see, we need a ruler because you and I are disobedient children, the Bible tells us. He says we're rebellious at heart. We're considered by God children of wrath and of Satan. Ephesians tells us that we do nothing but follow the prince and the power of this world. And you may balk at that, but it shows through the Old Testament narrative of God's dealing with man and Israel in Genesis and Exodus and Judges, where the Bible says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. God led through Moses and Joshua. He then sent judges to Israel to deliver them in times of trouble when they rebelled and were disobedient. Yet, man's heart was still full of rebellion. If you have your Bibles, you can turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 8. We come to a place where we find ourselves. Here's Israel. They're trying to live out the commandments of God, but yet in their heart is full of wickedness. Jeremiah tells us, who can know the heart of man? It is full of wickedness and desperately wicked. But in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel the prophet, the last of the judges, his time on earth is near end. And he is one who has been righteous. He is one who has been an honest judge and a trustworthy defender. But when he became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. In verse 1. But look at verse 3. It says, Yet his sons did not walk in his way, but turned aside after gain, after profit, after money. And they took bribes, and they perverted justice. So in there the people were gathered to Samuel, and they had a complaint about these men. And they said, Give us a king. Give us someone like other people, other nations. We need someone who will stand before us. And Samuel, a prophet of God as he is, is angry with them. He goes before God. He says, do you hear what they're asking for? The Lord said to Samuel, though, in verse 7, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me, God, from being king over them. 
even from the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. In the same way, we still fight against the rulers. And again, America, it's undemocratic to have someone whose family or king would just rule over us. We don't understand this, but in the world, this is how it went. The general characteristics of kings in the Bible times was they had final authority. They had their position for life. They cannot be voted out. Their word was law. There was no one greater to go to. They had control of the government, and the military, and the economy. And God gives them a warning about kings if you were to continue in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 10 through 18. Six times Samuel warns them that if you have a king, he will take. He will take. He will take. And guess <laughs> we're not too far from that. We may not have a king, but it seems like the government is always taking, taking, and taking. And that's what this world does. It continually takes. And Israel's history is filled with unrighteousness, wicked kings that only served to incur the wrath of God. And this is where we find ourselves near the end of the Old Testament. For the kings themselves did not answer what the people truly were looking for. And you could imagine them holding on to that promise from Nathan to David, to that one king who would be a righteous judge, who would be a righteous ruler and a righteous king. It was the promise of a righteous king that would bring about justice and peace. You read especially the minor prophets and you hear their cries for unjust scales, speaking of the unjust balance of economies and the bribery of judges. Justice and peace was an important promise that Israel yearned for. Here's an old Christmas carol. It says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. By this time, they find themselves now subjugated by the Greeks and the Persians, the Medians, and eventually the Romans. It goes on to say, O ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, for he shall come to thee. They were yearning for that king. And probably with every birth and every coordination of another earthly king, they would say, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is one. And there were sparks of that throughout their history, but yet none were consistent. And that throne did not last forever. And you and I are today are like that. We too long for the same things that they long for. We live in a world that's filled with wickedness and bribery and injustice. We can turn on the news and open the paper even today and say, what is going on? Evil seems to rule the day, does it not? Terrorists, starvation and famine, political intrigue, prejudice, and a basic lack of human compassion for each other. And We find ourselves too saying we need a righteous ruler. We need an honest judge. We need a king to defend us and to bring in justice and peace. In Psalms 110, God again reiterates His promise when David writes, The Lord said to my Lord, Set at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst 
of your enemies. And so here you and I today, we're looking back and saying, where is that promise? As Israel is saying, where is it coming? And for 400 years, there was silence. And here we find is that finally that promise is going to be fulfilled. And we find it in Luke chapter 1, verse 30. It says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. And of his kingdom, join with me, there will be no end. That child Jesus comes in a manger. Is Jesus the Messiah, the Christ. You see, Christ is that king. We've looked at it. He was the prophet. He was the priest. And now we see that he's the king. You see, he performs the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all of his and our enemies. And that's what you and I need. We have our sins forgiven. We have the righteousness of God. We now have peace with God. There's no longer any condemnation, but still we live in a world in which wicked and evil rules, does it not? That's the great thing about salvation. We're saved from the penalty of sin. We're saved from the uh, power of sin. But yet you and I live daily with the presence of sin, do we not? You know what I'm talking about. Those times when you get up and you look in the mirror and you can't even look yourself in the eye because the presence of sin still resides within you. and The battle is difficult. And still guilt and shame comes. And everything that we do just does not seem to satisfy it. We need a king who will rule over all things. We despair of, of the injustice that's happening. And you think, how should it be like this? How can we have in Orange County alone people who do not have food and clothing and a place to stay? Why do we not have a political society that just seems to help those that really need the help? And one in which justice is available for all people. We need that because the presence of sin, we're still affected by that. Whether it's in the providence of God through nature and earthquakes, tsunamis, disease, sickness, economic and social upheaval. We need someone who could lead the way. We need someone who can stand. Do you never ever wonder? Sometimes is there someone? I don't care if you're whether you're Republican or Democratic, Libertarian, Green Party. It doesn't really matter. You're just saying, could we not just have a leader who can lead us with honesty and lead us with someone who's just ready to go forward? I'm ready to follow that type of person. But let me tell you, as a believer in Jesus, we have that key. We have one that we can follow. Let me share with you three facts. For when he came as a baby, it was, yes, to give his life, but also to be a king. He is that offspring of David. He is that, my Lord, my Lord, says, set on my right hand. Jesus fulfills the promise. For his kingdom will last forever. His house will last forever, and his throne and reign will be forever. Let me share with you three facts about his reign. These are not on the screen. You can just write them down. 
if you like to take notes, is one is the Bible tells us that Jesus will reign forever. Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 6 tells us a great Christmas hymn. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And listen to this, and this comes from the Hallelujah Course also. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to hold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Not only will he reign forever, but in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5, we'll see that he will reign in wisdom with righteousness. For the prophet says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as a king and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. See, that's the type of king that you and I need. One who will reign forever. One who will reign in wisdom with righteousness. And lastly, he will reign over all the peoples and all the nations. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 tells us, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Now this next passage is the one which he comes in triumph in through Jerusalem. You will recognize it. Humble and mounted on a donkey. We see that Christ fulfills that. Palm Sunday celebrates that. He says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. There will no longer need to be impediments of war. The battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. And his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Amen? See, that's the reign of Jesus. For Jesus fulfills the promise of Christmas in which we have a king who will rule over us with peace and justice and mercy. You know, just on a side note, this is not my notes, so I'm going to get in trouble here. But you just think of all these little kids dressed up as superheroes. We have an infatuation, do we not, with superheroes? Well, at least I do. We grew up reading them. We all go to the movies, the Avengers, the things. And what is it that we like about them? They, they're, they're greater, than, they're larger than life, are they not? They seem to be good. You know, what's the phrase from Superman, someone help me? And justice in the American way, whatever, what's the phrase? Thank you. Truth, justice, and the American way. What is it about that we love? We love that type of scenario. We love the heroes. We love people who are in the white hats. At least we used to. Now it seems media has now blurred even those lines. But that's what we look forward to. That's why we like heroes. They stand. They're powerful. Jesus is greater than even those but we need to understand, because even as Jesus' reign will be forever, and though he reigns in wisdom and righteousness, and he'll reign over peoples and nations, you and I still struggle with this old body of sin, the presence of sin in our life. 
and we think if Jesus is reigning, then why is this not done? Why is his reign not shown forth? Why is there not wisdom and righteousness happening now? Why is all these religions and all these people who just rail on him, why are they allowed to continue? Where is his kingdom? Pilate asked the same question in John chapter 18, verse 33. Pilate, as he was interviewing Jesus, that's a kind word for it, he said, are you the king of the Jews? For this is what the people say of you. We all know Jesus was silent. And then he goes again and says, again, are you a king of the Jews? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were over this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. You see, this is not something that men can vote in. This is not something from the minds of men. It's not from our imaginations. It's not from trial and error and saying, let's get the best type of social justice and political system that we can. You see, we need a king from outside of us. Because no matter what greatness and what goodness we can do, it's still always tainted with sin, is it not? So it had to come from without. Then Pilate said to Jesus, So are you a king? And Jesus said, You say that I'm a king. And listen to this, John chapter 18. He says, For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. This kingdom is not of this world because let me tell you, there is no truth that's found in this world. Truth comes from outside. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we perceived His light as the light among men. What a wonderful story, the incarnation. You see, Jesus is coming again. And we'll look at that next week because that's the fifth promise. First Advent, he came in weakness and humility. But there will be a time when God's kingdom will come, but this time it will come in power and majesty as all will see. His first Advent, he came to seek and to save the lost, to share with us the truth, to become the priest and the prophet and the savior that we needed. His second advent will come to judge and punish the wicked and reward those who have submitted themselves to him. But here's important. Because Jesus' reign has already been inaugurated. It's here today. You may not see it because we see only this world. But to those that are of the truth, he gives them the truth. And he allows us to see the things that are spiritual, that are invisible. For scripture tells us until the day when Jesus comes to reign physically, nationally, and ethnically in land uh, based on here on earth, he comes to rule and to reign in our hearts and lives. Luke 17 tells us when he was asked by the Pharisees of when the kingdom of God would come. Jesus said the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, 
nor will they say, look, here it is, or, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. They could not see that the kingdom of God, the very king, was speaking to them. Colossians, Paul tells us, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And he says to be thankful for that. Let me share with you the reason Hebrews says, and do not neglect the meeting of yourselves. It's not because God is so worried about your church attendance. But when he says to be here together and not to neglect that, it's because we're coming to hear the word of the king. We are being gathered by the king. We're proclaiming that he is king. And so for you and I to be part of that kingdom, to have Jesus as our king, says that we submit to his rule and that we give our hearts to him. And his kingdom is growing as each heart submits to him. That's the kingdom of God. One day he will be here physically on earth, but until that day, he's already taking volunteers. He's choosing his people. And I just challenge you today, would you just submit to his rule today? You see, our response to him as king is to surrender to him and allow Christ to reign in our hearts, to let nothing else on that throne. Our response to the king of kings is to obey Him and His Word. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking for Christ to rule and to reign in each situation. So let me share with you, as the church is gathered today, for those of you who have repented from your dead words and turned and accepted Him, His kingdom is here. And I pray today that it will grow as each heart submits to Him. Let me tell you, there's going to be a day when everyone will confess Him. For He will rule over all peoples and nations. Philippians give us the words of encouragement, but also some words of warning. When he says, God has highly exalted Christ and has bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The demon Satan himself will bow before him. Every man and woman will bow before him. All of creation will bow before him. It says, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. And I would encourage you today, would you do that today? Rather to do that today and embrace that than to heed that as a warning when you're standing before him and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. I am not your king. Do not continue to be a disobedient child, a child of wrath, a child of Satan. You say, but wait a second, and you hear me say this all the time. You see, I don't have a problem with God. I love Jesus. I just don't like the church, but I love Jesus. Oh, I'm going to follow the examples of Jesus. Jesus said to die. Are you ready to die? Well, I'll just follow his moral teachings. But we fail in each and every respect on that every day. For even our good works, the Bible says, is tainted by sin. The very works that we do to try to make ourselves right with God, our church attendance, our tithing, 
Our goodness that we do, all of it, says the Bible says, is short of the glory of God. And so the only way is to say, you are king, and I submit to that. So you need to consider the implications of Christ coming as king. First Timothy, Paul writes to his young follower, he says, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Is that the cry of your heart? Or are you still on that throne? Or your family? Your job, your career, your pension, your pleasure. Something's on that throne. But it's time to dethrone that and proclaim that Jesus is king. See, Christ's offices, when we look at prophet, priest, and king, it renders him glorious in the believer's eyes. This morning, do you see the glory that he is? He's more than just a name. He's more than just a good moral teacher. But he's a prophet and priest and king who saves us from our sin, who reconciles us to God, who proclaimed the good news, and now is delivering us from his enemies and protecting us. He is in office for us, for our salvation, for our peace, and for our satisfaction. Who is Jesus the king? How does the promise of a king affect me today? For we see that he, James Smith writes in Glories of Christ, writes that Jesus is a king who receives the returning rebel, that's you and I, and he grants us a pardon. He rules over his people by his love and by his laws, and he defends all who trust him from danger and death. He rules over mankind and in the believer, and he is the king of kings and lord of lords, and as king, he saves from dangers and foes, the very things that you and I need in this world in the presence of sin. Let me ask you today, would you embrace the rule of King Jesus? Would you submit to his kingship? To do so means that you need to repent of dead works. What that means is you need to recognize that trying to work yourself into heaven is futile. Trying to make peace with God is futile. You cannot do it. And turn and trust that God has accepted the obedience and the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. Would you do that this morning? I'm going to ask with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to ask you just to think of yourself. Would you just say this? Father, how would you want me to respond this morning? How do you want me to respond to the promise of your kingship. If you're here this morning and you've never embraced his rule, would you do so this morning? Just cry out personally to yourself. I recognize I'm a sinner and I'm going to turn and trust you. I will follow you. If you're a Christian here this morning and you've just been struggling with that, I pray that you would once again recommit to his kingship. If you're here today and you've embraced that kingship and you're seeing what God is doing, then it's your time to commit to sharing that kingdom and that good news as each heart submits to Him and is directed. Father, we come before You this morning. We thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for coming and fulfilling the promise of a king. Whether we know it or not, whether we accept it at this moment, 
We need a king. We need one who will deliver us from this presence of sin. And until that day, we need to follow you. Lord, we look forward with hope to that day when you are here with us physically. But until that day, we trust in you as your kingdom grows, as each heart submits. Lord, I pray that you would do your work this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith@orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.